What's good, y'all? My name is Jonathan Dumas, and this is the Real Talk with Dumas podcast, where I have real conversations with the people I see every day because we don't know what we miss until we miss them. And y'all, I know I say this every week, but I have another dope guest for you. Um, But before we dive into that conversation, just want to share a few quick ways to support the show. Number one, as always, like, subscribe, share, and leave a review. It really, really helps folks discover the show. Number two, follow RTWD on IG. You know, send your boy a DM. Let me know your thoughts on your favorite episode, all that stuff. And number three, by financially supporting the show. The first part is that you can actually join the Real Fan Patreon page where it's a monthly subscription and supporting us. And there's a wide range of tiers there. And then the second part is like, if your your bank account doesn't function that way, you can always slide me a one-time donation on our coffee page. You know, do as my grandma always did and slide your boy $10, $15. It really does help the show go a long way. And by financially supporting the show, you are literally, and I mean literally, helping run the show because this thing is not free. And big shout out to all those who have supported the show financially. I cannot say thank you enough. So shout out y'all. All right, now on to my guest. This week I am joined by Cheryl Francis. Cheryl Francis is the founder and owner of Cheryl Francis PA. She is a native of Jamaica. Uh, she grew up in Michigan where she went to law school and began her legal career as a defense lawyer for major automotive manufacturers, pharmaceutical and healthcare companies. Cheryl and I spent some time talking about her career in law, pipe pipeline issues within the legal profession. What is there to gain for having more diversity in the legal profession, or drop some knowledge for those thinking about the legal field as a career. This was a dope conversation. I'm really excited for y'all to meet Cheryl because she is so, so wise, and this woman is about her business. All right, y'all, here's Cheryl. Cheryl, thank you so much for joining The Real Fam. How are you doing? Welcome. Hi, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. It's Friday. It's another great day down here in sunny Florida. I'm glad. Thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of your experience. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I know this is going to be a great conversation. One of the things I love to do, I read a, you know, the bio at the top of the show, but it's another thing to hear it from the person themselves to kind of introduce themselves. So who is, who is Cheryl? Go ahead and share that with the real fam. All right. So I'm Jamaican and I'm very proud of that. I come from a very small community there, or I was born in Trelawney, but I grew up in Kingston, went to a high school called Wilmers. Finally, made my way to the States or actually Michigan probably about 36 years ago. So I've been in this country for a significant portion of my life. This is my home now, obviously. And Michigan obviously was quite a wake up call given the change in temperature. So when I got there, it was a fall and it was just ash city. Uh, I mean, just trying to assimilate into that culture, (laughs) it was quite a challenge. It it really was. And for anybody from the Caribbean who moves to a very cold sort of climate, they can understand the challenges that I faced there. So I lived there for about eight years, lived in Detroit itself proper, finally moved down to Florida where I was able to now enjoy the weather that I'd become accustomed to right, from my youth. So the weather down here, the food down here, the people down here, it's, it's, it's so very similar to being in Jamaica without actually being there. And it's only an hour and a half away. So this is now my life. I've been a trial lawyer representing major manufacturing companies for about 26 years. I don't know where the time went, right? But it's been a great career filled with a lot of challenges, 
but also a lot of wonderful opportunities. I've met great people who have mentored me, who have been sponsors of my career and of my journey. And, and that's a part that I'm very excited to share that had I given in to, to my own inclinations, I probably would really have stopped practicing law a long time ago, but I didn't. So I persevered, which I always encourage people to do. There's an old adage that we have in Jamaica, one monk in a flop show. I can translate that later. But frankly, it's really about persevering, right? Through a lot of hardships and, you know, keeping your eye on the prize so you don't get distracted when things and obstacles get in your way. So now I'm a certified civil mediator down here in South Florida. I'm also a very experienced board member, having served on several boards, including most recently as a chair of Broward Legal Aid down here in South Florida, because I've spent a significant portion of my career assessing and quantifying risk for my clients, negotiating on their behalf, as well as examining and providing input on their business strategies to make sure that I deliver long-term solutions to them that are perfectly, well, maybe not perfectly, but at least consistent with their objectives. So that's me in a nutshell, except for the last part. And this is last but not least, I am the proud mother of a very handsome 23-year-old who graduated recently from the Savannah College of Art and Design. So <laughs> that's yes, me in a nutshell. Congratulations. That's, that's incredible. Yes. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. And like, I'm just thinking about like my friends that have gone to law school and some of the, my lawyer friends, <laughs> the ones that are still like practicing, you know, attorneys, and then those who are just like, they got that, that title of lawyer, you know, and the shelf life is, is I thought like when you, when you go through all that and you finally like become a, a lawyer, you like you stay in it, but like the shelf life apparently is not that long for, for, for attorneys. Like it's burnout is, is really real. No, it's not. And it's particularly the attrition rate for lawyers of color is even greater, right? Mm. And so what people should understand is even though everybody may know a lawyer and may, may know a lawyer of color, that the numbers tell you how really critical it is to have a better pipeline of lawyers of colors. We just don't have enough. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a couple statistics here. So the American Bar Association did a study and they, they ran through these numbers and here's what they came up with. So 85% of all lawyers in the United States, and that's in totality, probably a little bit over a million lawyers, 85 of them were non-Hispanic whites in 2021. Although non-Hispanic whites only make up 60% of the population, right? So that's the first part of the analysis. But when you get down on a more granular level and you look at the numbers, when you talk about people of color, so there's really only 4.7% of all lawyers in the U.S. are Black. And that was as of 2021, even though the U.S. population is 13.4% Black, right? It's a similar number for Hispanics. Only 4.8 of all lawyers in 2021 were Hispanic, even though Hispanics make up 18.5% of the population. And for lawyers of Asian descent, it, the numbers are even more stark. 2.5% of all lawyers were Asian in 2021, even though the U.S. population is 5.9%, right? And Native Americans are the smallest group they actually make up 0.4% of the legal population. So that tells you that even though our culture and our country is very diverse, it is not reflected in the bench or the bar. Mm. That, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, when we talked offline, I shared that, like, I wanted to be 
my my dream job like growing up was to be a lawyer and then my decision changed. I just realized that that wasn't for me. But what was interesting, like when I was in college studying, there was a black man that discouraged me from being a lawyer. And his biggest thing was like, there's literally a ton of lawyers, but his differentiation, I thought about this last night as I was prepping for this conversation was like, he didn't like even put in context of like how many black lawyers there are. So like there still needs to be much more black lawyers. And 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 even though the, I mean, legal profession, it's like a lot, but you know, the, the US, well, you know more, way more than I do. The US, I mean, we almost talk, you know, in the courtroom, but the, like, I was just like, I, I was reflecting on that. I'm like, bro, why did you like discourage me from going to law school? Cause I feel like we, they, they need more of us in that space. It is really, really wild. Yeah. Really, really wild. They do. But, but again, it's very brutal. Right. And so when I talk to my friends who've been in the practice as long as I have, so I've, I've been in, in the business now for about 30 years. I, when I started my career, I did a lot of crying. And I know it sounds crazy, but you're crying because this is a space that you're not used to. I know for me, I really didn't have a, a solid mentor or a sponsor. And, and those two words have different connotations, different meanings, and, and different levels of significance. And so when you get into those spaces, particularly when you work at a place where there are only one or two of you, it is a very lonely experience, right? So you get there. And I know for myself, you have that imposter syndrome. Why am I here? You know, they're going to find out I, I don't know what I'm doing. Now, the bottom line is when you first start practicing, most people, they don't know what they're doing. That's why it's called a practice, right? So you have some of the fundamental tools that you will need to get where you're going. But fundamentally, you are going to have to learn how to work, how to do your job, right? So it's called a practice for a reason. But when you get in it and, you know, there are people around you, they don't look like you, they don't think like you, they don't. It is lonely. And I know for me, every mistake I made was going to be the end of my career. And you don't realize the fallacy in that argument until you start talking to other people. They're like, child, go sit down. It's nothing. <laughs> yeah. Because what you don't realize is that almost anything can be fixed. Right. Yeah. So I, I spent I remember one weekend, I think I cried for two days until I went to see a movie. And but all of that suffering you go through would have been just non-existent if you'd had somebody to talk you through that angst and that anxiety. Right. Of being in a space where you feel like you don't belong, even though you have every right to be there. But you don't really grow into yourself and develop that self-confidence until you've been kicked around a little bit. Right. And you realize this isn't the end. This is just another part of your journey. And that's what I mean by keeping your eye on the prize. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest that I thought about quitting the practice many times when I was younger. But I couldn't. You know, I had a mortgage. I had responsibilities. <laughs> I could just walk away. So I had to take the beating and understand politics of the practice, because that's another aspect that nobody talks to you about when you're in law school. You think just getting to work and hunkering down and just working? No, absolutely not. Nope, that's not it at all. You really have to get ingrained in the fabric of where you are and understand what you need to do to move forward. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think that was even some of the things like when I got into corporate America, before I struck out on my own, it's like the politics that exist within those spaces and, and learning like learning like the, the norms and culture that's like just so very different. Like, you know, when people talk about, yeah, like 
just like I grew up in a working class family. And so like, you know, we couldn't, my parents and my family couldn't afford to just like take time off and just go somewhere. But like, they're talking about, yeah, we went on vacation and did all this stuff. And my uncle has a cabin somewhere. And I'm like, that's dope. (laughs) I I can't like connect in that way. (laughs) I I just, it's funny you say that because one of the things that people would say to me is, you know, when you go to those spaces, meaning when you work in a place where the majority looks a lot different from you, it's like, you know, don't share too much, don't do this. You know, there's a laundry list of do's and don'ts, right? And you really have to filter that, right? Because the thing is, you're never going to get to know somebody unless you become a little bit vulnerable, exactly. right? And that means, you're, obviously, you're not going to give them your whole life story, but you have to share some part of yourself So you can figure out what the connection is, right? Mm -hmm. With that person, because they will come and they will tell you their whole life. And you're thinking, wow, that's a lot of sharing. Think about what it is I can share that will help somebody get to know me a little bit more, right? Because there is some level of reciprocity to getting to know somebody, right? And that has helped me a lot in my career. So I, I don't go about broadcasting my entire business, but there are parts of my life that I will share with others, because I realized that's the bridge, right? So my experience has been that people connect through stories, shared experiences. And if you're not willing to share anything about yourself, then, you know, it's going to be a little bit harder for you on that path. And like even finding those spaces where that like allow you to do that is like incredibly important too. you know, like finding those people that I use the word safe, but what I really mean is like there's a connection as well that like that those stories like make sense for them too. In those same spaces, it's like I I was shocked by the people that I assumed would get and understand my story. And I was also doubly shocked about the people that like I didn't realize that they would know and be like, oh, no, yeah, I totally get that. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I would have never even guessed that we had that in common. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I'm going to tell you a, a, a story that about a mentor of mine. He's a mentor and he's one of my sponsors. And, and so I'll, I'll quickly talk about the difference. So the sponsors is, is the person who helps you move the needle in your career. Right. My sponsor was able to speak about me in rooms where I didn't have access to. Right. He could say, hey, we should think about promoting her. We should send her. You know what I mean? And I remember that through when we started working together, this is an older white male and he's about in his seventies now. And he and I started working together on a a very significant matter. And he would shadow me, you know, he's trying to figure out, you know, what I'm about, what I can do, my capabilities. But after we'd worked together for a while and we were strategizing together and I said, Hey, I want to do this because, you know, this is going to be the result. And I think this is the best thing. And he looks in my face and he said to me, Cheryl, we are exactly alike. And I thought, oh, my God, I I think I've made it. (laughs) Right. But that is the level of connection or connectivity that I had with him because we had been working together. And so, you know, he had seen beyond all of this. I was no longer just another black female lawyer, you know, all of this other stuff. We had cemented our relationship because we worked together and we had strategized. And so it it pretty much transcended race or gender or any of that stuff. But we only did that because we had shared, you know, we had traveled together, shared our experiences together. There was things he did not understand about the Black experience in America. And, And even though I wasn't born here, 
just being here for that long allowed me to answer some of the questions that he had that I think he probably would have felt a little uncomfortable talking to somebody about that he did not feel comfortable with. So that experience, I I think, to me, it, it really resonated and showed me sort of the power of personal relationships and getting to know somebody and just looking beyond maybe whatever box they're checking at the time. Yeah, absolutely. No, thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, I remember, I'm even thinking back some of the sponsors I've had in my past of like, honestly, honestly, like, uh, and we can spend a little bit of time talking about the sponsor thing, because like, it can, it can be incredibly, like, if you have the right sponsor, they can empower you, they can provide opportunity, they can provide access, all these different things. It, I mean, I would not have, there's been places where I, where I was because like, I had somebody, you know, Jonathan, I really, I, I not only see that you can, I know that you can do this. I know that you can do more. So like, I'm going to give you this and go ahead and do it. <laughs> you know, like I'm going to give you the keys to like, go ahead and, 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 and open all these doors and just like do it. Yeah. And I just like recall back to all these people throughout, I mean, throughout my life that have just like pushed me and challenged me and encouraged me and empowered me in ways that I just did not see or know that was possible for myself. So I'm like, yeah, I'm just thinking back. I'm like, I'm incredibly thankful for like the teachers and uh, former supervisors and all that, that have just like, or even not even direct supervisors, just people that were a, a department adjacent or whatever, and just like wanted to do that. Yeah. And there's one word that I want to emphasize that you talked about, Jonathan, is opportunity, right? And so without those opportunities, it pretty much either stalls your career. People get frustrated. They leave the practice because they never had the chance to demonstrate how good they really were, right? I mean, to be to be honest, I've had sponsors and mentors that have asked me to do stuff. And I was like, Ooh, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to make them proud. And once you get over that hump, because having that somebody else have that level of confidence in you is an incredible confidence booster. Uh, it's life changing. Honestly, it really is. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, gosh, I could go on and on about that. Okay. No, thank you so much for sharing. That's that's incredible. Well, I am. So you had mentioned earlier about like the pipeline issue and you brought up the stats and I'm so thankful you did because if you didn't, I was. <laughs> and like those stats are, they catch you off guard. And I know even for black women lawyers, like it's even smaller, like that number shrinks so much from that 4.7%. Um, and I couldn't find that stat. I tried, I literally was searching for a couple hours last night. I could not find that specific stat, but I know it's small. What have you seen as far as like your time in the legal profession, like as the biggest, you know, pipeline issue within the legal profession? Well, it really cuts across all aspects of the law. So there are pipeline issues with hiring, retention and promotion, right? And I think what happens is, and here's what's frustrating to me sometimes is that I still go to court and it's just me. I'm the only black person and I'm the only woman. And I've been around, like I said, so I've been practicing for 26 years. And so it it would seem to me as if things are not getting better as fast as they could, but I have to remember that this is not a sprint, right? It's a marathon. So I'm comforted by that, but we have to get more people in the pipeline so we can hire more people because you have to understand. So the attrition rate at large law firms is actually fairly high, right? So it's not unusual to see a lot of people come in, a lot of people go out, but it's even higher for us because oftentimes 
We often feel like maybe we don't have the support. It's not the right fit. We don't have the opportunities. We don't have the sponsor. We don't have the mentor because anybody, any successful person at a law firm that you talk to, anybody, and I'm including uh, white males in this, they will tell you that somebody helped them. I've heard stories about people being handed books of business when somebody either died or retired. I mean, that is huge, right? So there is an economic engine that is driving all of this, right? And they don't teach you that in law school, right? So you have to be prepared when you come out, if you're going into private practice, to be able at some point to become a hunter and gatherer, right? You have to be able to think about developing your own book of business and starting out slowly, having somebody show you the ropes in terms of what do you do? What organizations do you join? What practice areas are taking off? So we need more people in the pipeline to just get hired, right? And, and that needs to be driven from the top, right? So I often tell people, oh my God, I should be making so much more money because when I worked at the firms, I think they checked three boxes for me. Uh, you know, I'm black, I'm a female, I'm Jamaican, you know, some other stuff. I don't know. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we got black immigrant and, and a woman. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh my God, I got it. It's, tri- it's a, a trifecta, right? But the, the yeah, problem yeah. is just checking those boxes is not doing it. So the the pipeline issue in terms of hiring, you you know, these the law firms and other organizations, they can always liaise with universities. Mm-hmm. because I actually did that. There were several firms, major firms that I worked at where I encouraged them and I asked them, hey, would you be willing? And they did say yes to start a, a program where I actually became the, the face of the program. So I actually would go to the university, become friendly with the dean, find out, hey, do you have minority students here that are first-year law students that we could bring into the firm so they could participate in a summer program? That is life-altering for people, okay? That's opportunity because that's how I started my legal career. And hands down, that always works. I was a part of that program through the Wolverine Bar Association in Michigan. And after my first summer, I was able to buy a house. That is so wild. (laughs) Because you're getting paid like a first-year associate, right? Yeah. No, I wasn't. I was a first-year law student. Oh my gosh, that's wow. <laughs> you understand what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't even started practicing yet. Wow. It was my first summer there. And, and as I'm sitting there, you know, like overeating at one of these seven course lunches, I'm thinking, how do I stay here? <laughs> I said, I need this in my life, right? Yep. yep. So <laughs> I didn't know about it at first. And then when I got there, I'm like, oh no, I need to stay here. And so I talked to the recruiter and she's like, oh my God, you should try to get a law review. You should do this. I was like, okay, I'm taking notes. And and that's exactly what I did. So again, you need opportunities to understand what is out there that you need to make a beeline for. And if it's consistent with your goal in your life, that you can work towards it. But that's just one aspect of it. So when you start working there, Jonathan, you have to have that support system. You need the opportunity now to do work that's going to help you to advance at the firm, right? So I remember one point in my career, I was talking to a peer that worked at another law firm. She was like, I was like, what are you doing? And, oh, she's, you know, assisting at trials and doing this. And and I'm thinking about what I'm doing. And that's not that. That's like reading stuff and summarizing it. So I had to have the courage to move on from that job so I could go to another job to get the experience that I needed to become a good trial lawyer. 
right? So there's certain skill sets you need to have. So it makes no sense to sit around and pretend to be comfortable at a job if you're not getting the experience that you need. And that's what opportunity does, gives you that experience, right? So that's part of it. And then as you're there, let's say you're getting the opportunities, but you're not advancing. That's also a problem. So you have to have, again, a sponsor is going to help you to move from point A to point B at the firm and to really realize your full potential there as a lawyer. And oftentimes that is a very serious struggle, right? So you need it at every step of the way to get in, to stay there and to get promoted. Mm. No, that's really good advice. No, I appreciate that. Yeah. And I, I mean, even from my, you know, limited recruiting experience, you know, I recruited for schools and then also like employees for a small nonprofit, but like changing like the demographics and of, of a, any institution, organization, company, it takes time. Like it really does take time because it's like, you're really realistically recruiting for one position or anything like that. And, and sometimes if you don't have the right person, I, I say right person, but like right minded person or like the way that they do that or tactics, anything like that strategy, right? to not just diversify, but get like those solid qualified candidates, because it's just a lot more, a lot more work. You know what I'm saying? The pipeline obviously is small for communities of color, as far as like those who are interested in pursuing the legal profession. And so you have to do this extra work. And it's just so wild. Like sometimes I would be in those places and they're, they're like, I don't know. I don't know why they're not applying here. I'm like, well, I know why it's because like they don't think that they're welcome there. So like, what are you doing as an institution to make sure that they're welcome? What are you doing to go get those applicants or, or, or folks or interns or something like that? And, and and also to keep them, like, as you're saying, like what opportunities do they have? Do you have a sponsor, mentorship, all those different things, you know? No, you hit on all those. I, I really appreciate you sharing that. And even from your own experience, like that's a first year law student, Doing that summer internship where you could buy a house, like in my wildest dreams. <laughs> I'm just thinking of like in my wildest dreams, I, I could I could do that. No, no, seriously. So, but that's to tell you how life changing it was. I mean, I couldn't believe it when I would get my check. And you have to understand, I'm a first year law student. I had to take out all sorts of loans just to get through. And I get this check, and I'm, it's funny because yeah, I was about to say you broke, broke. <laughs> Oh, exactly. Right. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I remember when I got here. So I interviewed and, and think about this vetting process. I got interviewed by the then attorney general of Michigan, whose name is Saul Green, a wonderful gentleman. And the interview was very relaxed. And I remember at one point, you know, he asked me, he said, if you were not a lawyer, like, what would you be? I said, oh, an actress, obviously, you know. I was like, that that would that would be my 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 fallback, right? <laughs> now, granted, we never got to that, but yes, <laughs> I think he saw something in me, which was great. So when I got the position, I called the dean, called me, and said, "Hey, you're going to work at this great law firm." Now you have to understand, I I'm not even thinking about it. I'm just stressed out about trying to get through finals, right? And I said, "Is that good?" And she said, "Yes, you're going to be making more than me." So I was like, Ooh, this is great. This has to be great, right? So the economic opportunity that I received from going through that program, I mean, hands down, I mean, that's just not something that you get outside of, of, of that, right? Because my entree into big law came through that opportunity and that vehicle was tremendous because statistics show that if you start out making less 
than what you're worth, it, it, it's, it, it's almost impossible to make up those years that you're not earning at your full potential later on, right? So it, it, it just all came together and it was, it was an amazing experience. And so what I've tried to do when I go to, when I've been at, I think at least two or three of the major law firms that I've worked at is to ask them to put those programs in place. And I spearhead it. It's a lot of work. You have to find the people. You have to coach them. You have to make sure they get good work. You have to make sure that you get the buy-in from the rest of the firm. But that's all worth it because somebody already did that for me. Yeah. And, and also like just paying it forward. I have a friend who um, he, I'm trying to think if it's his second year practicing. I think it's his second year. Love you, man. All right. So he's an attorney right now working for this law firm. And like, it's, he's talking to me, brought me in on his process. And I even shared that I was going to be interviewing you with him. And so, and I told him about like your experience because we shared, talked about it offline. And he's like, that is incredible. He said, you know, cause like, he's like feeling it now of like, all right, like it's, I mean, he's been at this firm, he's doing great work. They're giving him a ton of opportunity, but like the earning potential is not there. And so like now he's like, yo, it's, it's time. It's time to, it's time to, you know, make it, make it happen. Cause like, this is not, yeah, this isn't going to cut it. And so, yeah, I'm just thinking of like how, almost how, how strategic you have to be to like get to that level because somebody, if you're doing great work and you don't say nothing, you will continue to make that same pay. <laughs> and sometimes you really got to, you know, sponsorship opportunity, all the different things, but sometimes you got to make that. And, and I think you mentioned that, make that move for yourself too. Right. So the thing with that I always talk to younger lawyers about is know your value, right? So I typically have probably about two or three headhunters on speed dial. Okay. All because right. they have their pulse on the market. They know what the going rate is for a lawyer in a specific demographic, right? If you're at a large firm, if you want to, you know, so they can kind of give you an idea of what it is you should be making. And if you're not making that, then you might need to reassess where you are. So the way that sort of manifested in my life, I remember I was moving from one firm to the next and I found out exactly how much I was worth from one of these headhunters I was telling you about. And so I went, when I went to the interview, and this is a discussion that sometimes is not comfortable for women to have, but listen, I'm about my son and my bag, right? I like to stat my cash. So I am very on top of my money, <laughs> right? And I had been burnt once before. Yeah. Yeah. So I went into the interview. This is the last part of the interview now. And they're going to ask me about the money. Right. And I'm ready. I'm ready with my number. And so the person says to me, and this is like the CFO type person. They're like, so uh, what's the number? So I said the number and then I just shut up. And there was silence for about, I don't know, five seconds. So I'm not saying anything and I'm not losing eye contact because you are not going to outsteer me on my number. So He's processing it. And then he goes, well, is that what you're aspiring to? And I go, no, that is in fact the number. And I shut up again. And there was an awkward silence for about three seconds. And, I, and I'm like, yep, you're not going to outsteer me. And I'm sitting there. So even though I'm trembling on the inside, I'm like, uh-uh, we are not going to go backwards, right? Because what happens when you say that number, if you get any pushback, sometimes a natural inclination is to say, but I'm open to a range. I'm not open to any range. That was the number. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not open to no range. <laughs> no range. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, 
That was the number. And I'm not going to tell you. I was saying a prayer inside because I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, what if they don't accept it? But I was very stoic, right? I'm like, no, this is what we're going to do. So we shook hands and he said, we'll get back to you. And I said, I look forward to hearing from you. And I went on my merry way. Now, it was a lot of praying on the merry way, but eventually they did come back with an offer and that was the number, right? So you have to be willing to understand your value and know what you're worth so that you can negotiate from a position of knowledge, right? Because listen, I people... What happens, I think, is most employers will probably pay you what they can get away with, and they will sometimes pay you the market value. But if if you're okay to get paid less and they see that you are, why would they pay you more, right? Yeah, yeah. But that also comes into play, Jonathan. Yeah, they. I mean... When you're there and you're going through your evaluation. So I would have a list, and somebody told me this. You have an attaboy list, all the good things that you have done throughout the year, right? All the ways that you have brought value to your organization. And you sit with that and you wait till you hear the number so you can say, hey, I believe that I deserve this. This is the market rate, right? Then you have to factor in inflation and, and here's a value I brought. This is how much money I made for you this year. And, you know, so you have to be able to get to a granular level when it comes to your money, because who's going to care more about your money than you? Because they for sure will not. <laughs> and hold your ground, too. That's what I tell like my coaching clients. Oh, I don't play. <laughs> yeah. Hold that. Hold your ground. Like, no, because as soon as you budge, they'll be like, oh, there's my opening. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you, um, you've already lost, right? So, like, I, I'm not uncomfortable. Did you get that bag? Did you get the number you wanted? I, I think I missed that. Yes, I did get the number. And, and let me tell you something. It was great that I got the number because the where I, as the years went on, you know, the, the finances of the company changed. But I was always ahead because I had negotiated better on the front end, right? Because remember, it's, it's, it's like getting into any relationship. Everybody's nice when you first meet them, but I don't know you like that. You know, I have to plan ahead for myself so that when it comes to the lean times, I'm still okay. Yeah, a, a friend, well, no. Was I in a workshop or a friend of mine told me this? I don't remember. Somebody was telling me about contracts and they were like, a contract or an agreement saves relationships. And so like when y'all get that stuff on paper, you know what I'm saying? Put it on paper. I don't care how close you are. Your mama, your friend, you've known each other all your life. It doesn't matter. When money comes into play, it's, things change. People change. All, all of a sudden, they don't remember stuff. and yeah, They do. And, and seriously, yeah. I mean, my, my old boss used to tell me, if it's not in writing, it never happened. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious because, like, obviously, there are, like, so much to gain. I mean, I'm an org psychologist. I, I look at, like, how organizations are set up. I preach about like the benefits of diversity and everything like that within an organization, better for the bottom line, yada, yada, yada. But like from your perspective, just being in the legal profession um, for as long as you have, like what is like the benefit? What is there to gain for from diversity and diversifying like the legal profession or even like firms if we're thinking on on a more individual level? Well, there, there's friends, frankly, a lot, right? There's a lot at stake. So our country is an incredibly diverse place. And so the bench and the bar, so the judges and the lawyers should reflect that. You know, one of the things it does is it instills more public confidence in the legal system, because look at what we're struggling with now. 
where the public trust in, in the legal system uh, is not where it should be, right? For good reason. And so you need that diversity of thought and experience to perform better analysis, ask better questions, to come up with more innovative solutions, right? It helps everybody. You know, clients win when they have a more diverse team. They have more input, more thought that goes into it, and you're not wedded to just one stream of thought, right? Because we all have different experiences and people on a whole, you know, everybody wants to be valued and heard. And in order for that to be a reality in this country, then the legal profession absolutely needs to reflect that. If you look at the statistics, and I don't think this is any great mystery, it's that people of color get longer sentences often than other people, right? And part of that is is probably because of the the composition of the folks who are handing down some of those sentences, right? And so we have to look at that and, and think and be very deliberate when we think about the issue of what diversity means. It means different things to different people, but it's not just diversity, Jonathan. It's really equity and inclusion because when you have a more diverse body of lawyers, including judges, right, even at the highest level, then people feel that they have representation, you know, it reflects the broader society and, and thoughts and processes. And I think that makes a huge difference in any culture. And so even though, you know, we're not going as fast as we need to, and it's often frustrating, but I think we're, you know, we're making progress. It, it's slow. It's going at a snail's pace. And I wish it, it would evolve um, faster. But again, you know, I look at this more as a marathon as opposed to a, a sprint. So it's, you know, public perception and then having a more diverse workplace really leads to more inclusion, right? It's more engagement. It's just better for the organization. And clients are actually demanding it from a lot of the law firms. They want to make sure that the, their, um, their legal representation reflects the broader society. No, that's, that's incredible. And I, I'm just like, thinking of the Supreme Court nomination of Katanji Brown Jackson recently and her, her, I think her. I know. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm so, seriously, you see, yeah. look at the smile on my yeah. face. I am so happy. Yeah. You know, you know it's, it's, it's long, listen, it's long overdue. Yes. Yes. And if I saw her, if I saw Katanji, I would have became a lawyer. I would have been like, I got to do it. I can't not do it now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, and incredibly incredibly accomplished like her i mean it's it's wild like the things that she's done but her i think her nomination here no seriously i read her bio and it makes me feel as if i've been sleepwalking right like what have i been doing in my life (laughs) (laughs) like her bio is ridiculous and just i'm just like I, i at the beginning i'm like okay like all right and then like the more and more i i saw it actually happen and then I saw her speech, like her, her on the announcement, and like I just, I just, I'm so happy. Like I didn't realize like how emotional I was gonna get about it, but like I'm just trying to think of like uh, just, it's just wow. Like it's just wow. Like it, it just, it feels like it, it should have already happened. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's amazing. So yeah, I mean, I'm really happy for that. But what, what's gonna make me super happy is when all these numbers that are yeah. terrible that we just talked about, when those change, right? We, we don't want, like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Judge Jackson to be an outlier, 
you know, it should be, it should be so natural and normal to see people of color in yeah, those spaces. Yeah, yeah. We're not there yet. So I'm incredibly happy. I'm so proud. It's just, it's a turning point, right? But the legal community is just, it's one, always one of the last ones to change. It, it's, it's tough and it, it's, it's going to take a lot, but I think we all have to pull together, right? So you know, a couple of things that the law firms can do. I mean, they really have to be very deliberate about improving diversity and, and, and that comes from the top down. So there has to be a leadership sort of mandate that drives the organization towards that. You can't just have one or two people because, you know, other voices may drown them out. Having a chief diversity officer is often key because that person, their only focus is on that specific issue. And they make sure that that's part of the cultural fabric of the firm, right? In ways that other people wouldn't do because they're not focused on that specific issue. So, you know, these are just some of the things that they can do. And and for the attorneys of color that are at the firms, look around and see, you know, what opportunities does that person have to succeed here? Because again, you just hired them. You don't want to spend all that time training and bringing them up to speed just to have them turn around and leave. And I'm not saying, you know, sometimes you offer opportunities and people figure out, hey, this is not for me. And that's fine. But you want to still make it a place that is hospitable, where a person can actually go and figure out if that is a place I need to stay at. Where can I continue on my journey? Because the the legal profession, it's it's brutal. It is, especially as a trial lawyer, you know, it's very unforgiving. There are a lot of hours. It's, it's, um, it's not easy to be in this space and then have a family and do all the other things that come along with adulting, I call it. And so you have to get ready to be in that space, to give it 110%, but to also be able to balance, right? For your own mental health. Because one of the things that happens is that as attorneys of color, when we're in these spaces, it's not just about our substantive knowledge or how we do our jobs. It's the other, it's the politics of just being a minority in that space. It, it weighs on you. There are studies that show that, and this is another thing, I know we're not talking about that, but there are a lot of microaggressions that happen in the workplace, right? And those we internalize and it's just exhausting. You have to deal with that before you even get to the work part. And so you have to be ready to deal with that in, in certain of these spaces. No, no. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I know I've, I've held you pretty close to time and I really, really appreciate you for sharing all your wisdom and your knowledge. I'm curious for somebody who is still torn around with the idea of, you know, pursuing, <laughs> pursuing my JD, what is like, you know, what is some advice you would give to those who are like thinking about the legal profession in any capacity um, as they are, are sharing? I know you mentioned, you know, you know, that balance and everything like that. Okay. If, if, yeah, I think they should do it. And, and the reason I, it, it's a little bit selfish, but the numbers have got to get better. Right. And so I used to be motivated by fear, but now I own every space I show up in because I'm meant to be there. Right. Nothing happens fortuitously. And so when I'm in a space, I own it. You have to have a certain level of humility though, because the profession is brutal. And remember, you're walking into a space where you have to learn, you have to practice your craft. And so you may make mistakes and you have to be willing to forgive yourself. Find a good mentor, find a good sponsor, and they don't necessarily have to work at the place you work at, right? Find somebody else that you can talk to 
so that you can process some of the obstacles that you're going to face and come out on the other side, right? And persevere, keep your eye on the prize. I, I know I mentioned this a couple of times, but I have thought so many times of walking away, except I built a lifestyle around this career yep. and I had bills. so i couldn't walk away i couldn't open a shoe store i couldn't go teach i couldn't afford it yep yep right and so i had to find a way to be comfortable in my skin and enjoy the work that i do so i mean now i have my own practice which gives me a level of flexibility that i didn't have before but don't get it twisted. I have been kicked in the face, beaten down, stomped on. I mean, if I had listened to the naysayers at the beginning of my career, Jonathan, I would have stopped practicing years ago. So to anybody who wants to come in, do it. But you have to come in with humility. You have to be prepared to persevere through obstacles. And you have to have the courage to walk away and find a different path if it's not working out for you at that specific place. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, that's that's such dope knowledge. And I, I feel like it's so transferable too. like, you know, whatever like profession you choose to be like, I'm even thinking of healthcare, like the, the numbers are very similar within healthcare for doctors. So, yeah. you know, probably worse. Yeah, yeah, to be honest. And so, yo, like, thank you so much, Cheryl, for like being you for bringing wisdom, knowledge, everything that you shared with us today. Like, it's just like incredibly impactful and encouraging, empowering all the things, your presence and everything like that. So thank you so much for coming and being with us today. And thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed it. And I hope we were able to touch somebody today. At least one person, right? <laughs> yes. No, I, it's always, always at least one per episode. But I, I would love for you to have an opportunity to plug where folks can connect with you. I know we connected through the Black Speakers Collection. So uh, you'll obviously be doing some speaking and stuff like that. So I would love for you to just plug yourself wherever folks can get in contact with you if you want them, if they can come in or ask you to come in and do some work with them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And you, if, if somebody reaches out to you, Jonathan, you have my contact okay. information. So if they would like to follow up with me on any aspect of what we've talked about today, I am open to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. As long as I get your permission to do that, um, I'll always check in with you first, but y'all heard it. Y'all absolutely. Heard it. <laughs> you have it. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So website, LinkedIn, where can folks find you at? So they can find me at www.sherylfrancis.com. Let me see if I get this right. www.cheryl at sfrancislaw.com. I'm also on LinkedIn, Cheryl Francis. So you can find out some more information there. Those are the best ways to reach me. Awesome. All right. And I will also provide those items in the show notes. But again, thank you again, Cheryl. Really, really appreciate your time. Everything you gave to us today. I know that the real fam got a lot out of today. So thank you so much. And thank you. Have a great weekend.